Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www. To, again, thank all of you who have given towards the mission trip. Uh, You can see there that we are uh, well on our way to raising the support needed. So thank you for your generosity. If you received more than one support letter this year, uh, that was by accident. Sorry about that. Um, And we're trying to figure out what happened and clean it up for next time. But thank you for your generosity. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, as we come to your word today, God, pray that you would bring down the barriers of defensiveness, um, of resistance, of rebellion, and that through your spirit, by your word, you would uh, change and conform us into the image of Christ uh, for our good, for our freedom, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Simon Peter was undoubtedly one of the most faithful followers of Jesus. If you remember, Simon Peter was a fisherman up on the Sea of Galilee, relatively an unknown person in an unknown area of the world, until Jesus stepped on his boat. Jesus began to teach, and then he told Simon Peter and the others to cast the nets on the other side of the boat, and they caught such a huge number of fish that they knew it was miraculous. And so Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. And Simon Peter did. Simon Peter left everything. He left his business. He left his family. He left his community to follow Jesus. During Jesus's ministry, it was Peter that Jesus called to come out and walk on the water in faith. Not the other apostles, but Peter. When Jesus asked the apostles, who do you say that I am? It was Peter, not the other apostles, who made the first declaration that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And based on this profession, it was to Peter that Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It was Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration that offered to build three tents or three tabernacles for Jesus and Moses and Elijah to dwell. It was Peter when Jesus came to the apostles and said, you will all fall away because of me this night. It was Peter who came back and said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter was not perfect, but of the apostles, Peter probably best typified what it meant to be a passionate faithful follower of Jesus until he wasn't. Until he came to a time of massive moral failure. You probably know the story just hours after Peter pledges his devotion to the point of death. Peter denies Jesus not just once, not just twice, but three times. 
Peter, the one who proclaimed the identity of Jesus, was now denying any sort of association with Jesus at all. And as Peter is basically renouncing his faith, renouncing his ordination, renouncing his Savior. Last week we studied in, in the first half of John chapter 21 what it means to follow Jesus. And we saw some of the things that it means to follow Jesus is to fish for Jesus and with Jesus. To flee to Jesus and to fellowship with Jesus. But what happens when you fail? What happens when there is a massive failure in your life? What does it look like to refollow Jesus when you fall off the wagon again? What does it look like to refollow Jesus when you commit adultery in your mind or in your heart, physically or cyberly? What does it look like to refollow Jesus when you blow up again, explode at those that God has entrusted for you to shepherd with gentleness and love? What does it look like to refollow Jesus if you've walked away from the church for weeks or months or years? What does it look like to refollow Jesus when, like a dog returns to its vomit, you return to your sin time and time and time again? I'm assuming there are some here today that come in here feeling so messy, so dirty, so unworthy that they think there is no way to be restored to Jesus. You may remember a time when you were so passionate and devoted as a follower of Jesus, but now you feel so far away, you wonder, is there any way I could possibly refollow Jesus? Well, that's the question we have before us today. If you would open up to John chapter 21, uh, it is page 907 in the Red Bible. Um, we're continuing our series on following Jesus, uh, part two of a three-part series with the focus on what it means to refollow Jesus. If you remember back in John chapter 20, the exhortation for us at the resurrection of Christ was to believe in the resurrected Jesus and to have life in his name. But now as we turn to John chapter 21, the exhortation is to follow Jesus. Now, before we dive into this passage, just make sure that uh, you understand what's going on in this scene. Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, he has appeared to his apostles on two different occasions in Jerusalem behind locked doors. Uh, his, his apostles then go up to Galilee to wait for Jesus as is instructed. Uh, as they're waiting for Jesus, they go out throughout the night to fish so that they can sell the fish in the morning and have, have money for food and necessities and things like that. When they go out to go fishing, they catch absolutely nothing. And so as the sun is coming up, they're still about 100 yards out from the shore. And a man from the shore who is Jesus, but they don't know it because he's 100 yards out and it's just the beginning of the morning. Jesus yells out to them, you know, have you caught any fish? And they say no. And he says, cast your nets on the other side. And they cast their fish, their nets on the other side. And they catch such a great number of fish that John immediately knows this is Jesus. And so he says, it is the Lord. And then Peter jumps in the water and swims to land because he's so eager to get back to his Savior. Now, when, when Peter and the apostles make their way back, they, they eat breakfast with Jesus, a, a breakfast that Jesus prepares for them. And they fellowship with Jesus and they enjoy the company of Jesus. The passage that we have today is right after that breakfast. Peter focus, excuse me, Jesus focuses on Peter, who had just experienced this massive moral failure. And, and I don't know if he pulled Peter aside or not. I tend to think that he did. But he really focuses on Peter to help restore Peter and to teach Peter what it means to refollow him for all of his life. So let's look together. John 21, verse 15 through 19. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. More love, Lord Jesus. Give us more love for you. Help us to follow you with greater surrender, with greater joy, with greater devotion. Our hearts are so hard and so stubborn and so prone to wander. We need your spirit to work in them today for this purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what the three most attended church services are of the year in America? The first two are pretty obvious. It is Easter and then Christmas. The third most attended service of the year is Mother's Day. Today, probably because moms want their kids to come to church with them. And so kids come sometimes somewhat begrudgingly to church, but that may be you. We're glad that you're here. But they come because, you know, this is what mom wants them to do. If you notice, this passage isn't particularly a Mother's Day passage. But I think it is very fitting that we would come to this passage on Mother's Day. Because maybe you're here today just to appease mom and, and love her, which is great. But you have run far from Jesus. And this is not by mistake that God would bring us to this passage on this day. We're just going through the Gospel of John. I didn't pick this out for you. But God has an appointment for this passage and, and for you to hear, to know what it would mean to re-follow Jesus. Now, you may feel singled out, but let me assure you that all of us need to be asking this question. What does it look like to re-follow Jesus? Because all of us fail to follow Jesus faithfully. You know, the, the, the instance that came to mind, I could give you plenty of examples from my own life. I have too many examples to share. But one of the examples that I think of is earlier this year, I drove uh, with my wife and four kids down to Miami, Florida in our old 2001 Honda minivan. And when we were down in Florida, there was a point in time where I was uh, disciplining my children. I'd love to say it was out of love, but it was probably more out of anger. And so I was loudly disciplining my children, which sounds better than yelling at them, but I was loudly disciplining my children. And by the time I was done, what I had discovered is one of my children recorded the whole thing on their phone. Sorry, I don't have to on my phone, but they have like these old, anyways. And they started to play it back and like, oh, that does not sound good. And they're like, daddy, you better stop disciplining that or else I'm going to play this to the church. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to lose my job and you don't have any food to eat, so don't do that. And they didn't, thankfully, I don't. 
I have plenty of instances I could share with you where I have failed to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And so this is a question for all of us. What does it look like to re-follow Jesus, to be restored to Jesus? Well, the first thing we'll see here are the conditions for re-following Jesus. You know, when you've had a moral failure or you have run away from Jesus and his church, what are those ingredients? What are those things needed to, to re-follow Jesus? In this passage, it, it probably seems pretty clear at first because there's, there's a word that repeats a lot in this. So I want to see if you can detect it. Verse 15, uh, midway through, it says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Can you guess what that condition is? Can you guess what that repeated word is? Does anybody know? Love, right? The condition for refollowing Jesus is love. But it's probably not the love you're thinking about. At least not as the primary condition. You see, when we read through this passage in English, the word love is just one English word. But if you look back to the original language and language that Jesus was speaking probably, it's that there are, there are actually different words used for this term Love. Some of you may know some of this, but in the English, again, it, love is used seven times. But in the Greek, in the original language, it's a mixture of two words. Uh, one of the words is agape. There is agape love. And agape love is the unconditional, unrelenting love that comes from God. Okay? So in the New Testament, it's always connected to God, this agape love. So, for example, it says, for God so loved, agape loved the world. Or that God is agape love. So this love is, we'll just say it's 100% love, if you can remember that. I actually get that from a commentator, James Montgomery Boyce. But 100% love is agape love, okay? And then there's another Greek word used for love in this passage, and it is the word phileo, uh, which the city gets named Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And this is a great love to have between, friend, between friends in the church and friends outside the church. But this is, this is probably a 60% love, okay? Just remember that because we're going to read back through the passage. But here you have this agape, 100% love, and you have this phileo, 60% love. So with that in mind, I want to look back at this passage. Verse 15. Look there with me. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape, 100%, love me more than these? Now what is the more than these in this passage? Commentators have debated it. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than... Then, then you love these disciples. Um, what it most likely means, and I think there's fairly strong evidence, is Jesus is asking Simon Peter, do you love me more than the other apostles love me? And I think the reason why Jesus uh, is saying that is because uh, of, of what happened just a few weeks earlier uh, at the, at, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, Jesus says to, to the apostles, he says, you know, all of you will fall away because of me on this night. And Simon Peter said, though they all fall away because of you. I love that. Like, he didn't have to include that, right? Like, he's throwing all the other apostles under the bus. Like, though they all fall away from you, like, 
You don't have to say that, Peter. But anyways, he does. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. What basically Peter is saying is that I love you more than any of these other apostles do. And so here, with this in mind, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape 100% love me more than these other apostles love me? Jesus ex exposing Peter's false self-confidence and extreme arrogance, thinking that he has the devotion to love Jesus unconditionally. Peter's response is absolutely fascinating. It continues in verse 15. Peter said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, 60% love you. That's not the question Jesus asked. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape 100% love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, 60% love you. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is saying, Peter, do you, do you really think that you can 100% love me like God loves? Are you still so confident in your devotion and your love for me? And Peter responds in humility and says, you know what? I 60% love you. I'd love to love you 100%, but, but my heart is fickle. It's prone to wander. He's learned to not trust his own heart, which is a good thing. And then again, something stunning happens. Verse 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you, phileo, 60%, love me? Jesus has changed the word to affirm and accommodate the weakness of Peter's love and devotion for Jesus. It continues, says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, I phileo 60% love you. You see, earlier we observed from this passage that the condition for being restored to Jesus and for refollowing Jesus is love. But the primary condition is not your love for Jesus. It is Jesus' love for you. You see, Jesus has an agape, 100%, unconditional, unrelenting love for you. And he calls you in response as a secondary condition to love him back. This is a love that all of our hearts love for, long for, this agape, unconditional, unceasing love. And it is a love, to be honest with you, you cannot find in another human being. But we long to find it in another human being. There, there's a country song. Um, uh, I won't sing it. Happy Mother's Day. That's my gift to you. Um, there's a country song by Blake Shelton. And it rose to be a number one hit because I think it, it communicates this agape love in the human relationship. And people were just so overwhelmed by it. It goes like this. It says, she left without leaving a number. She said she needed to clear her mind. He figured she'd gone back to Austin because she talked about it all the time. You may know this. It was almost a year before she called him up. A year later, three rings and an answer machine. And this is what she got. This is what the answer machine says. A year later, after not talking. If you're calling about the car, I sold it. If this is Tuesday night, I'm bowling. If you've got something to sell, you're wasting your time. I'm not buying. If it's anybody else, you know what to do. Just wait for the tone. And it says, and P.S., if this is Austin, I still love you. The song continues. The telephone fell to the counter. 
She heard, but she couldn't believe. What kind of man would hang on that long? What kind of love this must be? She waited three days and she tried again. She didn't know what she'd say. Three rings and she got the answering machine again. And it was a different message on the voicemail. It said, if it's Friday, I'm at the ball game. Saturday, if it don't rain, I'm headed out to the lake. I'll be there all weekend long. And I'll call you back when I get back Sunday afternoon. P.S. If this is Austin, I still love you. She left her number. He called back. And she says, if you're calling about my heart, it's still yours. I should have listened to it a little more than it wouldn't have taken me so long to know where I belong. I still love you. Do you see which love was primary? It was the, the man's love for Austin that she was able to come back and say, I love you. You know, it's interesting. If you actually look into the history of this song, I was hoping it was a true story. It's not. It's not a true story. People don't love people like this. It, 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 it came because there was a voicemail answer machine where this person had this for a time, but they never got back together. It was not really a happy story. You see, nobody's going to love you like this, but Jesus loves you like this. When we go back to the Bible time and time and time again, do you know what the good news is for the Christian? Jesus says, I still love you. This is the good news of the gospel for Christians. He still loves you. No matter what you have done, no matter where you have gone, no matter how far you have fleed, he still loves you. This is the condition for restoration and for refollowing Jesus. Not that you have this great love for him, but that he has an unstoppable love for you. And so if you want to re follow Jesus. Praise God. Re-love Jesus with all of your phileo 60% love that you can, but knowing the primary condition for restoration is his agape 100% unconditional, unceasing, unending love for you. So that's the condition for re-following Jesus. What is, what is the charge for re-following Jesus? You know, as Peter responds, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He says this three times. And every time he says, I love you, Jesus gives him a charge, right? And so he's saying, listen, love takes action, right? If, if my kids today just said, mom, I love you, but don't do anything for her, well, that's not really love being fulfilled, okay? And so, and so Jesus says, okay, if you love me, here's, here's what you should do. This is how you can love me. And Jesus gives three charges to Peter. And there's similarities and, and differences. But if you look here at the end of verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, feed my lambs. The end of verse 16, if you love me, tend my sheep. The end of verse 17, if you love me, feed my sheep. Now, now the, the, the common statement in all of these is the word my, okay, M-Y, in which Jesus is telling Peter that He's going to call him as an under-shepherd, but he's not going to shepherd his own sheep. He's going to shepherd Jesus' sheep and God's flock. You know, Jesus calls his people, his church, my lambs and my sheep. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He purchased his sheep with his own blood. They belong to him. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus knows his sheep intimately and they know his love. And Jesus is directing Peter as an under shepherd to care for the flock of God. Now, now Peter isn't left alone in this. 
Um, we actually see Peter shares this with the elders of the church. Uh, later in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is writing, I think it's going to be on the screen behind you. But he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, this is Peter talking, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. And remember, he's saying this to the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Whose flock? God's flock. That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shame for gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so certainly there is this exhortation to Peter, an exhortation to the apostles, an exhortation to the elders in the church to shepherd God's flock. But in some ways, this is a charge given to all of us as well. Because all of us are called to shepherd one another. Uh, if you lead a women's ministry, uh, Bible study, you're shepherding the women in that Bible study. If you're here on Wednesday nights for Awana or VBS or, or, or Sunday mornings in, in the nursery, you're shepherding the flock of God. If you're just simply an older brother or sister, you get to shepherd your younger and brother and sister to show them what it looks like to love Jesus. And so while this is mainly focused on Peter and the apostles and elders, all of us have a responsibility to shepherd the flock of God because the flock of God belongs to God and is the primary interest of God. Now, if you notice, Jesus kind of differentiates his flock into two different categories, more like stages of maturity, but he talks about his flock as lambs. This could either be children or it could be talking about uh, young Christians. Either way, Jesus is saying, listen, these people are important to me, not just those that are, that are smart, that are, that are influential, that are mature, but those that are young in the faith are precious to me. And so children's ministry in the church and in the house, is precious to Jesus. But not only does he call us to care for the lambs, but also the sheep, those who have grown, who have matured in the faith. Now, how do we do this? How do we care for the lambs? How do we care for the sheep? Well, he gives us two directives here. One directive is to tend, which means to care for. You know, when someone is hurting, to be there with them, to love them, to encourage them. He also says not only to tend, to care for them, but also to feed the sheep and the lambs. And so the question is, what do we feed them? What food do we give to them? Well, God tells us what is the food for his people throughout the scriptures. And he does it in a variety of ways and in a variety of places. In Ezekiel chapter 1, the Lord said to Ezekiel, eat this scroll. <laughs> Talking about the word of God. Eat this scroll. Jeremiah said, your words, O Lord, were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. David in Psalm 119 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Jesus himself says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The food for God's people is God's word. This is why on Sunday mornings we teach from the Bible because I have nothing better to teach you. This is why in community groups they are called to study the Bible because it is the word of God to feed the people of God. 
This is why at homes, parents should read and teach the Bible to their children. This is why you should, you should feed your own soul God's word day after day, treasuring it in your heart. Because this is God's food for God's people. And to not feast on this gift is the malnourishment of your own soul. You know, it's amazing. I was thinking through this, but on, on the web, they actually have these things called like the feed or the daily feed. It's just ironic that that's the name that it has. But, but it's a feed like on ESPN where you can go through and learn, you know, what every team did this day or CNN or whatever, blogs, whatever. You can go through this feed and, and fill yourself and, and, and gain this information. And none of that is wrong. But are you feeding on the word of God? Are you feasting on it for your own soul? Because if not, you're malnourished. This is the food that God has given to us. You know, my um, kids and I, we love dogs. Uh, my wife likes dogs, but she doesn't love dogs. And so uh, we kind of have an agreement. That there's more to the story. I can't share it all. But, but we don't have a dog, okay? And so uh, because we don't have a dog and we like and enjoy dogs, my wife has agreed that we can, you know, like watch dogs when people go out of town. So let us know if you want to, if they're good with kids, let us know. Um, but she doesn't want a dog because, you know, you have to clean up after a dog. I mean, you all, if you're a dog owner, you know what it's like once the snow melts. It's not pretty. Um, you have to pay vet bills for dogs. You have to, you know, when you go out of town, it's a hassle, things like that. And she has four kids that she's loving on and caring for. And if we got a dog, you know, most of the responsibility would fall on her. And so she says she doesn't want dogs and that's fine. And so what we do is we dog sit for people. And what we have learned is that when we dog sit for people, this is not our dog. Uh, and so, so we have to feed them what the owner says we feed them. So, so my kids can't go in there and be like, hi, do you want a bag of chocolate? Right? Like my kids can't do that. That would be bad if that happened. The owner tells us, all right, you have to let them out three times a day at this time, this time, this time. This is how you tend them. This is how you care for them. I'm not putting this in, I don't mean for this to sound demeaning, but in a way, Jesus comes to Peter and to the elders and really to all of us and says, will you be my pet sitter while I'm gone? I'm going away for a time, Jesus says to Peter. I'm, I'm going to return to care for my sheep, to tend my sheep. But for now, I'm going away. And so I want you to care for them. And so this is a charge not only to Peter and to the apostles and to the elders, but in some way to all of us to care for the sheep. Because they do not belong to us, they belong to Jesus. So if you've fallen away and you want to re-follow Jesus, renew your love for Jesus in responding to his unceasing, unconditional love for you. And then love his flock, the church. It is impossible to love Jesus and not love his church because Jesus loves his church. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And so he says, love the church, tend and feed my sheep. So that's the condition and the charge for refollowing in Jesus. Finally, the cost of refollowing Jesus. If you thought this was hard so far, just wait. Jesus continues in the restoration and recommissioning of Peter. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's prophesying. When you were young, you, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This is a phrase that they would have known uh, referred to being crucified on the cross. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, 
Follow me. I love that. Hey, you're going to die. You're going to be tortured. Follow me. (laughs) You know, Peter was probably crucified in Rome about 30 years later. And so he had this prophecy hanging over his head for three decades that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to die upon a cross. And yet Peter continued to faithfully follow Jesus, even to the point of crucifixion. I don't know if you've ever had this question. I know I have of, of, you know, if my life depended on it, would I be faithful to Jesus? And I think this, this story of Peter is so encouraging to me because if I depend on my own strength and my own will and my own devotion, I won't be. But if I say I am weak, I need God to give me the grace in that moment to be faithful. He will. I love the ending of this editorial comment, verse 19. It doesn't say what you think it would say. You think it would say in verse 19, then Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to die. That's what you would think it would say, but it doesn't. It says, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. The focus of our life and the focus of our death is not us. It is God, to glorify God. And the extraordinary things and the ordinary things in life and in death. That's why Peter in 1 Peter 4, 17 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If you are suffering because you are a Christian, do you know that is a great opportunity to glorify God, which is our chief purpose in life? Your suffering does not need to be wasted. It is an amazing opportunity to glorify God. Even Jesus says, Father, save me from this hour. Talking about his death. But he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then the Father says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. The purpose of all of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy him. Polycarp was a disciple of the apostle John who wrote this letter. And he was a leader in the early church. Facing martyrdom for his faith He was given one more chance to recant. To recant and to say that he doesn't follow Christ. But Polycarp, who was this elderly old man, said this. He says, 80 and 6 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? And then he launches into prayer before they burn him at the stake. And, and throughout his prayer, I won't read the whole thing, but he says, um, Wherefore, I also praise you, Lord, also for everything. I bless you. I glorify you, even in death, through the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved son, through whom, with him, and the Holy Spirit, be glory unto you, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. You know, it's interesting because I have, I have people ask me questions like this. They'll say, when I'm talking about faith and church and things like that, they'll say, if I, if I come to your church or if I become a Christian or if I want to become a follower of Jesus, does that mean I have to start giving money to this thing? <laughs> you know, if I, if I follow Jesus, does that mean that I have to stop messing around with my boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance? If I follow Jesus, does it mean I need to go to church like every Sunday? I mean, what if I'm tired or on vacation or, you know, I just want to break or my kid has a sporting event. Do I really need to do that? And when people ask me this question, it reveals two things. 
The first thing is it reveals their idols because they're trying to see, you know, will Jesus leave my idols alone? But the second thing that it reveals is that they have actually minimized the magnitude of the cost of following Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't just want some of your money. He wants all your money. (laughs) Jesus doesn't just want your Sunday mornings. He wants all your week. Jesus doesn't just want your purity. He wants all of your passions. You see, to faithfully follow or refollow Jesus is not just to give a little. It's to give everything day and day and day and day. Recommitting yourself to Jesus. Jesus does not demand a lot from you. Jesus demands everything from you. Because every part of you belongs to Jesus. Because you are his sheep. He has purchased you by his blood. He has taken on your sin and your failures and your backsliding. And he has paid for it in full on the cross. And then rose on the third day to give us newness of life. What is the cost of following Jesus? Everything. Because Jesus gave up everything to purchase you. Let me end with this. Christianity is unique in this way. Christianity is a religion for failures. (laughs) Sorry to break it to you. Christianity is a religion for failures, for people who need second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and seven times 70 chances. Pastor Sandy Wilson shares about a visit he had to Cambodia and he he had a Buddhist monk as a tour guide. And so he asked this Buddhist monk, he said, so when you really mess up, I mean big time, morally, as a Buddhist, how do you recover? And the Buddhist monk replied, you don't. It's just bad karma. It's similar to like that in Hinduism, right? Like if you, if you mess up really bad, you're going to come back as a cockroach. But there's no way of recovering from failure. Sandy Wilson goes on, and I, I think he's right in this. He says he's convinced that the reason why there are Muslim terrorists blowing things up is because they have an honest and sensitive conscience. That they know that they have messed up royally before God. And the only hope of recovery is to be a jihadist. And maybe God will accept them then. You see, any, any Muslim, any Hindu with a sensitive, honest conscience is going to be crushed under the weight of their own sin. Because there is no opportunity for recovery. But this is what makes the Christian gospel so glorious. It is not for perfect people. It is for failures. Just look at the Bible. You go to the Old Testament. You have Jacob, who was renamed Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He deceived his brother. He ran away from his family. He was a failure. You look at David, from whose line would come the savior of the world. He committed adultery and murdered someone in the same weekend. It was the biggest failures that established a church. You have Peter here who denied Christ three times. The apostle Paul was Saul, and he was a terrorist. He murdered Christians and threw them in jail. If you want a current example, you can think of Chuck Colson, who was thrown into prison because of the Watergate scandal. He was called an evil genius of an evil administration, and yet he became one of the, the most powerful voices of Christianity over the last three generations. You know, for all honest, all of us are failures in and of ourselves, but only Christianity offers hope to failures. Only Christianity, only the gospel offers restoration. One, one last nugget. This passage is often entitled by 
scholars the restoration of Peter, and rightfully so. Uh, Peter had, had, re- had refused to claim Christ as his own three times. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Because it's not a partial restoration, but a full restoration. But do you notice in this passage who's the initiator of the restoration? I, I mean, what should have Peter done? <laughs> Peter should have said, Lord, forgive me. I denied you three times. Please forgive me. Peter doesn't do that. He has three chances to do it. He doesn't do it. And so Jesus initiates the restoration. Jesus comes to him and he says, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Maybe you're here today just because it's Mother's Day. Maybe you're here today because for some reason you just wandered in here. We don't believe in accidents. You're here for a reason. Could it be because God is initiating a restored relationship with you? Jesus is a good shepherd. He woos his sheep back to himself to refollow him for his glory and for their good. So if you have fallen away and you want to re-follow Jesus, renew your love for Jesus in response to his unceasing, unconditional agape love for you, Love his flock, the church, as Christ loves his flock by caring for them, by feeding them his word. And then count the cost. Surrender all of you to all of Jesus because he surrendered all of himself to purchase you. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess we are prone to wander. And we are so thankful to have a God that gives second and third and fourth chances. A God who will receive back the vilest of sinners time and again because of your unceasing love for us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to love you with all of our heart and soul, to follow you as one of your sheep. Lord, as we turn to your table, we turn here for nutrients just as, it, as the bread and the, the wine nourish our bodies. We trust this through your spirit to nourish our souls, to surrender more to you, Jesus, to follow you closer and with more joy and more abandonment because you are worthy. And when we go any other direction, Lord, it's only to our misery because you are the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters. You are the good shepherd who cares for our souls so wonderfully as we need. And so nourish us through this meal, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.